Sequence is loading. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please rise and welcome for the first time as husband and wife, Mr. and Mrs. Denny Crane. All right, everybody. Walk and walk. From Forest Rain Studios, the home of Boston-Legal.org, you're connected to Boston Legal Radio. It's the unofficial weekly audio experience of Boston Legal. That's, of course, the David E. Kelly produced television series that we all know and love. It's broadcast here in the United States on ABC. It's all over the world. It's in South Africa now. It's in Korea. It's everywhere. I'm Dana Greenlee. Today's Boston Legal Podcast is a little different. It's a special feature. It's a look at the music of the series, and in particular, the man who helped shape it. He's that distinctive voice that you hear every week that enhances and underscores, and I really think he propels the stories forward, the stories of Denny and Alan and company. And you know him well. And before uh, we get to know him a lot better today, first I'm going to let you listen to the opening seconds of the pilot episode from the first season of Boston Legal, and it was launched by the vocal stylings of our guest today. See that, and you just heard a little bit of Alan there, Tara. But no, the main voice that you hear, the spectacular stylings of Billy Valentine. Welcome, Billy. Hi, Dana. Oh, I'm so happy, so honored to be talking to you right now. Well, it's an honor to talk to you. You know, I'm, I'm taking you away from not only your work on Boston Legal, which you do once or twice a week, and we'll talk more about that later, but you're busy moving as well. You're down in California. Yes. And you're moving to a new home, and we're working on that already this morning. So thank you for taking a few minutes with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Ah, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing really good. It's sad because the season is winding down. We have only a few more episodes left of Boston Legal, but you're going to get a nice little break for your voice. <laughs> yeah, give me a chance to kind of uh, come up with some new new links, uh, you know. Of course, you never really, t- as a singer, you never really take a break, do you? You'll be performing constantly. No, I, I, this is what I do for a living, so I, I actually do it every weekend or so. You know? At different places around the Southern California? Different places, yeah. I, I do private events. I do different clubs. And in uh, fact, you're performing this coming weekend. Why don't you just give a little tease for anybody? We'll, we'll talk more about that, but a little tease for anybody who's in the area that wants to come see you. Yeah, I'll be at a restaurant called Cafe Cordial, which is in Sherman Oaks, California. Mm-hmm. It's next Friday the 12th of And if anybody's interested in learning more details on the front page of the boston-legal.org website, we link right to Cafe Cardinal's uh, website and their music page, and you can find how to get there and eat at the restaurant first, right? (laughs) Yeah, you can can actually have a dinner there, or you can come at at 10 o'clock, which is when the, uh, the music starts. That's the main course. Yeah. Well, what you contribute every week, Billy, is 
amazingly unique. It's it's not like really any other network television show, it seems like. Everybody's pulling in more music and popular music to the episodes. But it's when it occurs that I find so interesting in this series. You're at the beginning. You're certainly seeing the theme song. Yeah. You're throughout the show, not even just in scene transitions, but your voice m- maybe pops up in the middle of a, a scene. Absolutely. You know, and then, a, then the actual sort of say a few more words of dialogue, kind of the ending, and then it moves on. And then you you often are in the balcony scene, aren't you? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I kind of, you know, do a little little thing at the very end of the show to kind of close it out. And it's not just your your naked voice. There's a lot of interesting effects that sometimes use. There's that phone modulation that you can kind of hear. I mean, there's also just you. There's a little bit of work that happens in the studio as well when you when you sing that. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm working with uh, the actual music producer, Danny Lux, and he does a lot of great things with my voice. Billy, a little backstory. I'm dying, I always am interested in hearing how you got involved and anybody else that got involved with Boston Legal. When did you first hear of your opportunity that uh, was presented itself? Back in 2004, I think, is when the series started. Well, that's when I heard about it. I actually heard about it as they were putting the show together and, and they needed the music. I got a call from, from Danny Love asking me to come in and sing a few things for the show and and he would present it to the producers. Hmm. And they kind of does what I did. <laughs> I'd say so. So here I am. So know? Danny was your conduit to Boston Legal. Uh, yeah, I had worked on Ollie McBeal, which Danny also worked on. Oh. And uh, I just did a couple of sessions for that show. And I think I did a, I did a Sabrina to Teenage Witch, which he also did the music for. So I had some past history with him. So he has his uh, favorite singers, and he brought you in. Yes, I was one of his favorite singers. And as far as you know, maybe a few other people perhaps did a demo for the producers to listen to, but you got it. Yeah, that's, that's great. the way it worked down here, you know. That's great. And now you work primarily with Danny, is that correct? Yes. And he's actually busy doing... Tell me a little bit about Danny as well. And you're, and but, uh, he does work for other shows right now. Oh, yeah. He, he works on... Uh, he's the music guy for uh, Grey's Anatomy. Mm. Uh, also, my name is Earl. Mm-hmm. Great. And probably a couple, of, couple of other shows that. Uh, well, between I that and not. Boston Legal, it's keeping him so busy. But, uh, but I again, think Boston it, Legal, probably, he probably does more music on that show than than the other shows. Because more on the other shows, he does basically scoring. Mm-hmm. But what we do is, is rather different than what he does on any of the other shows. Well, that's right. It's more of a collaboration between what you sing and his scoring. And when you ever get two people together, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit more complicated and more original, too. And yeah. Now, you know, what he does is he lays down the music to the thing, and then I come in and put my voice on it. Are you allow- afforded a lot of leeway in how you are total 100% creativity in how you present your vocals? Oh, yeah. It comes... The- Creativity on my part comes off the top of my head, and we collaborate together, and he tells me if, if it feels right for that scene. Mm. But generally, the music speaks to me, and I go with that. But I, I put my own thing on it. Uh, that's so great. Yeah, he doesn't try and corral you with a certain thing, and you're, you're watching the scene while you do this, so you're kind of creating and you're listening to his music, so right. you're enhancing it. Exactly. You know, I know that musicians and vocalists do not like to be sort of pigeonholed into a certain kind of thing, but I listen to your music and it's very 
improv freestyle kind of jazz scat humming you hum you sing yeah. but why well, want you to sort of if you can put some walls around your music and kind of tell us a little bit what parameters you, what what would you call your music that you do well uh what i do on the show is basically you know blues licks and you know uh moans and groans and every now and then i get to be jazzy actually Mm-hmm. You know, something called for that. I would say definitely jazzy. And in fact, in your non-Boston legal life, would you say you're more jazzy or bluesy? Well, first of all, you have to understand that I grew up as a rhythm and blues singer. <gasps> and as I've gotten older, I've branched out into the American songbook, if you don't mind me saying, you know, standards and things like that. I enjoy it very much. Give me some examples of standards that you particularly like, and we'll talk more about that when we talk about your CD. Well, you know, I, I'm i a big fan of Nat King Cole and Sinatra. Mm-hmm. Songs like a Billie Holiday tune. She's mm. funny that way. Uh, I'm traveling light. Those are Billie Holiday things that I do. Though, then we're going to hear a little bit about that. You've been so gracious to uh, let us hear an advanced preview of your CD, right? And those yes. songs in particular. Yes, I'm putting together a, a standard CD. I've gotten the uh, music done. I just, I'm just in the process of putting the packaging together. Oh, wow. The marketing and the business side of it as well. Yeah. Well, I'm going to swing you back around. Just as sort of a, a layout of what we're going to talk about, I want to talk more about Boston Legal and your work on that. And uh, then I want to get into your earlier work because quite an amazing history that you've managed to put together there, Billy. Thank you. And then we'll talk about again, your CD, and play some music from it as well. Okay. Now, going back to Boston Legal, and again, I guess when I was preparing for this, I was listening a lot from season one and head cases. You were in head cases quite a lot, and you still are, of course, throughout the episode, but there was a lot of work that you did in there, and I want to have everybody listen to just a, a soundbite that you did right when, um, <laughs> in the first few minutes of the episode, when, just to set it up, Alan is observing Brad and Sally Heap, who's no longer with the show, sort of having their first conversation. Apparently they've known each other in the past, and Ellen realizes that and, and <laughs> makes a few statements, and then you follow up with your own statements as well. Mm. Here we go. Wait a minute. You two have had sex. Sorry. We're not territorial about that sort of thing around here, are we? That's great. I waited a minute. <laughs> Alan goes, wait a minute now. I did. I waited a minute. Well, all right. I forgot all about that. <laughs> Any thoughts coming back when you were working on head cases or working on that first episode? Anything that you want to just share with the rest of us? I don't have any real thoughts because you have to understand, I do so many uh-huh. of these episodes that it's about the next one as opposed to the last one. <laughs> I just, if you count them all up, I mean, there's been 20, I mean, 40, 40, 50, I don't know, episodes. And <laughs> how many within each episode that you do? Yeah, it's it's hundreds. Of- I, I can't keep up with it. <laughs> it's very difficult. I'm, you know, when you tell me about a scene, uh, and you, you have a name for it, and I, I don't necessarily have a name for it. 
<laughs> Billy. See, that's why you guys have to rely on us fans. We we do track the minutia, don't we? Absolutely. <laughs> well, what I hear when I hear your vocals, and that was a good example of it, when you go, I waited a minute, you actually kind of, and you don't always do this, but you kind of repeated back a little bit of the dialogue that you just heard, because you're watching, in the studio, you're watching the edited scenes or filmed scenes. You're not there, of course, live when the actors are doing their scenes. No. It's almost like you're the voice of the viewer of the audience that is watching the show because in our heads we're kind of repeating some of those lines. Wow. I don't know. Is that what you have in mind when you do it or do you not really think that hard about it? I don't really think that hard about it, but it's very interesting uh, that you put it that way. I, I find that fascinating. I guess I am kind of the voice of the audience. I think maybe you should sit down on a sofa and have a remote in your hand when you record those things. <laughs> yeah. That's just an observation. Uh, when you're doing that, does Danny pop in? I mean, I assume he's there with you while you're doing it. Does he say, oh, that was good, or can you do it again? Do oh, yeah, different? he's right there uh, in the control room, and I'm in the, I'm in the studio, and he always comments one way, oh, that's great, we'll, that'll, we'll go with that. Mm-hmm. You know, he gives me the okay, because every now and then we, we may get a note that we're, we may be a little over the top. <laughs> can you give me an example of one that you had to sort of redo after you thought it was all over? <laughs> No, I can't. What happens is, it's almost like Danny and I are partners, mm-hmm. and he generally likes what I do. We, ge- we never really have any disagreements about it. It's just that he'll know what the producers, he has a better idea of what they want, mm-hmm. because they they use things that I have done before as temps to let him know what they want the next time for this particular oh. thing. You know, they might pull something from a previous scene to put into the the current thing that we're working on. Mm-hmm. And they call, they call that a temp okay. to give me an idea of what, what they felt was right. Oh, interesting. And then you do something original, but along those lines, the exactly. flavor. Oh, that's interesting. So you that's what you call the notes, in a way. Some of yeah. it's audio notes. <laughs> exactly. It's interesting. You did make reference to sometimes they, they will consider something that you've done over the top, which I find ironic because the show itself is so over the top. And the dialogue will make self-referential comments about itself being a show. And sometimes your vocals, your words will be something that points out in a way that this is a show or I'm repeating a line. So I thought they'd be all over that. They'd love that. But not always, right? They have well, some over-the-top moments. Most moment. of the time they do. I, I don't get, we don't get a, a great deal of notes. Yeah. But, you know, it is, a, it is about the show. It's, it's not so much about me. <laughs> I'm a part of it. You humble man. You know. <laughs> Everybody knows probably the most repetitious, of course, of your works, which is the theme song. And I want to, oh, yeah. I want to play that. It's just 30 seconds. It's, I cannot tell you, Billy, how many people have said, where can I get the theme song? I want to, is there a whole album, you know, wow. with this? And they want to have Boston legal music as an album. But that wow. theme song has grown in such popularity. I think when it first came on, bear with me here, there was just maybe a little bit of, we were like, whoa, that's a little different than a lot of Pops theme songs. Mm. And now it's become so um, ingrained with what we love so much about the show, people will play it all the time. So, you know, by cool. itself. <laughs> that's fantastic to hear. So let's listen to that. And then uh, while you're listening to it, Billy, think about what it was like recording that, anything that you can share with all of us, because we love it so much, we want to hear all about it. Okay. 
the patented Billy growl in there. <laughs> now, for everybody who has ever questioned me, what is the last word that you say in that theme? I'm saying outlaw. Outlaw. Yeah. <laughs> that is good. You came up with that one? Yes. <laughs> now, what the way that started out was that, uh, you know, I, I, I the guitar is doing a certain thing, and, and I just actually I started out covering that guitar with, with my voice. Mm-hmm. And then I overdub the ad lib. Okay. And what you hear on those ad libs is basically who I am and what I do. Ah. You know. You would th- now that doesn't sound like a lead vocalist talking in your professional life. You're certainly a lead vocalist, but in terms of this show, you would say it's more of that ad libby thing. Yeah. Okay. It's definitely ad libbing. Uh, it's like the the guitar part is. In the in the vocal that that's working together, there's it's more like the lead, and then I'm back there in the back doing ad lib. Who played the guitar? Is that Danny? Or no, his name is John. Can't think of John's last name right off the top of my head. But a session John's playing guitar, and he's a, he's a fabulous guitarist. He plays on plays on everything. He plays on the it does the Oscars and, and oh. things like that. Oh, great! Just a one a fabulous session musician that yeah. that Danny knows, and he works with Danny quite a bit. Oh, great. Now, maybe I am, <laughs> maybe I'm over the top myself, but I'm listening carefully to that theme song and the credits are rolling. So you see the different, the cast members, their, the actors and their cast names. And when they show, in the case of season one, they were showing Tara. And I, I thought for sure you said, Tara. <laughs> and then they, and then they show Brad. And I thought you said, where's Brad? But am I reading into that too much? Is, are you just making ad libs that have nothing to do with their names? <laughs> Dana, you're reading into it. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm I'm actually not supposed to make reference to anything directly. Okay. <laughs> anything I do is supposed to be indirectly. Here's me, you know, I'm turning up the speakers and I'm closing my eyes and concentrating on it too much. <laughs> How long did it take you to work on that theme music? Do you remember? Was it an all-day event, multiple days? Oh, no, no. Uh You'd be surprised. It only takes me about an hour and a half. Wow. To do, a, to do a complete show. Oh, wow. Oh, a complete show? Yeah. That's everything. Yeah, that's everything. And then you go look at the actors, the, you know, the whole production itself, it's, it's a week or more. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they work hard. That's, well, you work hard too, but that's great. You just zip it right out. Yeah, um, it's, uh, well, you know, when you're feeling it, you're feeling it. On that theme song, did you do different versions of it? Or, again, you know, when you, you just did it, and that yeah, was I, what we got. I just did it. I, it, it didn't take a, a great deal of work for me. You know, Danny did some mixing and stuff. You know, I, I give him a lot of credit for that as well. Uh, Billy, so now take us through a typical episode routine. You've kind of danced around it a little bit about being in the studio, and it takes you an hour. But... uh how soon before the episode airs, probably, do you go in the studio and, and have this to look at? How soon? Like, you know, do you do a week or two ahead of time? Yeah, probably two weeks. Stop. And Danny's already done his scoring at that point, or is he working with you on the same at the same time? Now, Danny does his scoring the day before I get there or the day of, okay. earlier in the day. Mm-hmm. So he already has his tra- his tracks down, so you can work from those. Yes. And when I get there, those, those tracks are down. Where do you end up recording? At, where, 
What's he studio? has a studio at his house in Agora Hills. So it's all very homey. That's yes, nice. very kickback. So you're watching an edited version while you're singing it. Do you ever watch the episode then the following week or when it does air? And have you ever noticed that they have used or haven't used something that you recorded the week before? Well, rarely do I do they do they take me out, but occasionally there, I, I might miss something uh, where they've taken something out. They didn't feel that it it, it was uh, appropriate or, or that it was a little over the top or whatever. Mm-hmm. But most of the stuff I do is in there. Okay. And you mentioned once before they do the temps, which is sort of riffs from the previous episode that they thought fit. Do you ever find that they will actually just use some of your g- more generic riffs that you've pre-recorded in the final product multiple times? Something you recorded in season one, that very thing will be in season two or whatever. No, I'm, I don't know that to, to be. It's probably all original each time. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't have to go there every week. But, <laughs> uh, I think they use this uh, uh, new stuff all the time. They use all my new stuff. Well, the interesting thing about your versatility is, of course, in the, it matches the storylines. Some of the storylines are very serious. They're romantic. They're dramatic. Some are over-the-top hilarious. <laughs> and then your your words and your vocals tend to match that very well. So I have another example I'd love to play. This is an example a soundbite from Death Be Not Proud, which is actually a very dramatic scene, but this was a fun moment. Death Be Not Proud was the the episode, the season finale for season one. Shalina Hall was there. They went down to Texas to get Zeke born uh, to see if they could get him off death row, if you remember that. Yeah. Uh, this is a fun dialogue little bit about uh, between Shalina and Alan, so that's why I'm doing it as an example of a fun vocal. Pretty boy, how'd you like to go to Texas? I'd love to. I haven't had my shots. (laughs) And that was an example of your vocals being a lead-in to a a scene. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. they're used as the ending of the scene. But, yeah, do you remember that episode, working on that one? I do remember that. That was an amazing episode. That was a very moving one, wasn't it? Yes, that was very nice for me. In fact, we'll play another soundbite from that episode, the very dramatic Part. And this is actually when we hear Zeke Bourne, the character of Zeke Bourne. It's at the very end, right before he's led to the, I think it was by, our, yeah, it was by injection into that room. And he had just found out that the governor turned down their uh, request for clemency. Right. Yeah. I'm so sorry, Zeke. Oh, I'm ready, Shalina. I'm going to be strong like a hero. You watch. Will you watch? I want people to see me strong. I got no family. Will you come? Sure. We'll be there. Let's go, Zeke. I don't know about that dog barking. Oh, was that your dog? 
That was my. Oh, I was like, "Is that from the episode?" I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's cute. Oh, what do you remember? And and can you add any more sort of background or flavor about the differences between doing vocals for the dramatic versus the humorous? Well, you know, it, that was a very, uh, very dramatic show that night. Those are tough things to do. I mean, it's so sad. It's so dark. And you're watching the actual storyline yes. for the first time while you're trying to do it. And yeah. you're probably just like, what happened next? You know, wow. you want to keep listening. It's, it's very overwhelming for me. To, I thought that episode was just, you know, it's one of the, I think it might be the most dramatic episode that I did. I think you might be right. There has been, there have been a lot more funnies than dramatic, you know, seriously life yeah. and death dramatics. You know, that's David E. Kelly, man. He, He's all over the place, man. He, it's funny. It's heart-wrenching. You know, those things. I mean, he goes from, and it's so real. Now, we think that dramatic would be harder to do vocals for, but is that true, or is it harder in a way to I think come it up is. with funny ones? I think it is, because uh, when you're doing, I mean, the dramatic comes a little tougher for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, especially in a scene like that is, there's not a lot of places you can go as opposed to, to the funny. Mm-hmm. Because you can really go over the top funny-wise. Yeah. You can go out there. You can get outside the box a bit. But with a dramatic, like, uh, a dramatic thing like that, there's not kind of cornered into that. And that's, again, where, like I said at the beginning, you kind of underscore or enhance the what we're watching. We're as viewers, totally, and again, you're being our voice in a way, and we're just probably still and moved and internalizing what's going on, and so, yeah, we don't want to hear words coming out, so you hum it, you yeah. kind of moan it a little bit, you know, like we right. would. Right, and, and you, you know, I, have, I, can, I can be there, but I can't be too far out there mm-hmm. as, as a voice. It's about the subtlety sometimes. It is about the subtlety. Here's another soundbite, and this is just, you know, the trifecta of the emotions. We've got the dramatic, we've got the comedy, and we've got the poignant, heartfelt, uh, romantic part. And Boston Legal does have romantic parts. It's from season one, an episode called Hired Guns. This is the episode where Alan and Tara first kiss. It was a peaceful sort of humming that you provided that took us in a transition during the kiss, which was a highly intimate scene moved us right into the beginning of the Brad and Lori working on the Susan May murder case. So it went right from that to the trial as a transition. Let's hear what that is. And if you can think of anything you want to add after that, I would appreciate it. Okay. You smell good. Papers turning because at that point we've gone from 
what was been kissing for most of that 40 seconds mm-hmm. to the courtroom. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember watching that and, and being in a romantic frame of mind? I remember the, the music. I remember what I did. I can almost remember them kissing. <laughs> but as you hear, as you hear the music, it really, it speaks to me and tells me what to do. That's right. Danny's composed scoring. Yeah. It's true. You know, and, there's not a, a lot of room for me to, to work there other than to do what feels natural right mm-hmm. there. Well, now, work was a great word to transition us to this new area. This is when you actually worked in a different way on an episode this season, an episode called There's Fire. Denny mm-hmm. Crane got married. <laughs> yeah. And guess who they called to be the, um, I guess you would call it the... Master of Ceremonies. Master of Ceremonies. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me. Well, actually, let's do this. Let's just... Let everybody relive it. We're going to play a soundbite of that. What, how was it to get that call? I want to hear about the day of filming and okay. the, how long it took you and everything. So oh. here is a, this is Billy Valentine on camera, on screen, being the master of ceremonies at Denny's wedding. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please rise and welcome for the first time as husband and wife, Mr. and Mrs. Denny Crane. White roses, gold leaf cake, Bev's boobs swimming out of her wedding dress. Said money can't buy tastelessness. I think Bev and Denny did a lovely job. Eleven marriages between the two of them. They've had plenty of practice. Will you listen to you people? Can we not for just one moment appreciate the simplicity and timelessness of two souls in love? Goes right into the opening credits at that point. And there you were singing a duet. Do you remember who your duet partner was? Uh, Alfie Silas. That's right. She's a top session singer. You, In oh, fact, yeah. didn't you say you had worked with her on an album a long time ago? Yeah, Alfie and I worked a, a few sessions a, a few years ago. Mm, okay. She's worked with people like Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, Barbara Streisand. Even- oh, yeah. She's very, uh, very well known here in Los Angeles. Well, talk about the filming of that scene, the rehearsals, the, the uh, <laughs> I think they, you guys pre-recorded the music and then you lip-synced for the actual on-camera stuff, right? That's correct. I actually got a call from Steve Robbins, the uh, supervising producer of the show, mm-hmm. and uh, he asked me if I would like to do it. Aww. And I was thrilled. I was actually thrilled to do it because, you know, I, I do a wedding or two every now and then myself. You know, oh. and that was, you know was something that I felt very comfortable in doing. You could bring realism to the role. <laughs> bring realism to the role. And going to the set was very exciting for me because I had never met any of the uh, actors and actresses. That is incredible to me. You've been working on that show by that time, a year and a half, <laughs> and you hadn't met the cast. No, had not met the cast. And I, I actually met 
introduced myself to, to uh, William Shatner probably a week or two before that because I ran ran into him at a restaurant here in Los Angeles. And you were performing at that restaurant as well, or were you? I was performing at that restaurant, uh, but he wasn't there. He was there to have dinner, and I was performing there with Katie Seagal. Katie Seagal from Eight Reasons. No, what is her? What was that? Eight Simple Rules of, of Dating My dating Teenage my daughter? daughter. Yeah, and she's a singer. And I don't know if that many people know that, but certainly she performs around Los Angeles. And you oh, were yeah. performing. Katie's a very good singer. And she, you know, she was a singer first before she was an actor. And that was at uh, the restaurant Genghis Cohen. Is Genghis that how you say? Cohen, yes. And so people in LA definitely know that restaurant. And you, he was there dining. You recognized him, and uh, you walked up and introduced yourself. I to him. walked up and introduced myself. And at that time, I, I had no idea that I would be on the show oh. in terms of on camera. But uh, it was it wasn't more than a couple of weeks later that I. Actually, saw him again, and he remembered me introducing myself to him at Genghis Coin, and it, it was a fun day. I got to tell you, it was the best time. I had the best time on that show. Oh, that's great! Tell me, actually, I'll say one thing: you're very, an, a very unassuming, completely professional. You have every right to be proud of all your work, but you're not, you know, a boastful man that will go up there and be the first person. You kind of hang back, and they oh. all came to you. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I am. I'm really shy. Not shy. Uh, when it comes to meeting people, when I was there, I, I I just didn't want to get in the way. I would be in my position. I actually met everybody because they came up to me and introduced themselves because this was the first time that they were meeting the guy that was doing the theme song and doing all the things. They all were your fans. They all wanted to come see you. So now, did you say Spader walked up first and introduced himself? Dave Spader came up to me and... and said how much he appreciated what I did, and I was flabbergasted that he felt that way about it. I was actually thrilled to know that they thought that much of me, uh, that they would introduce themselves to me like that. The lives that you touch that you have no idea because you put your work out there and you never necessarily hear back, but in this case, they were able to thank you for that. Yeah. You know, I always like to say I, I don't mind flying under the radar. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> I do. Because of my shyness. Oh. You know, I'm not forceful at all. I'm not, I don't have a forceful personality. Mm-hmm. You know. But I think, my, I think my music speaks for itself. Well, your talent has at least propelled you to, put, to be in these positions where you get to um, work with some great people. And so being shy gets you, doesn't really get in the way of that because you're, you're put in these positions to, to perform. How does that work? You're a shy man, but you're up on stage performing. <laughs> yeah, I'm just unassuming. You know, I I don't uh, assume that it's going to be everybody's going to love me, but I believe in what I do at the same time. Well, I am hoping that some of the cast members and certainly the production people will come and listen to you perform at your various places over the summer. That would be great, wouldn't it? If they yeah. haven't already, of course. I send out. A- you know, emails to, to people, um, Mark Valley and a few people, or, you know. Good. When I, when I do uh, perform live. Good. And I definitely want you to send one an email every time you have a new schedule to me, so I can share that with 
on the website, and anybody who wants to go see you that is in the area can do that. You're going to have a whole Boston legal contingent at every show. <laughs> Wait, Benny, you're at the top of my mailing list. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that very much. Later on, you actually sing later in the episode. Do you remember that as well? You, I don't know if you were... That scene was cut, wasn't it? Didn't you tell me you were saying another song? Yeah, I, I actually sang At Last. That beautiful uh, song, At Last. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was, I think it, I think you might hear me say one line or something like that. Do you remember the scene that it was, would have been in more fully? Well, that's the scene where Jenny was caught in the coat room. <laughs> the coat check girl. What was he doing way? in that room? <laughs> <laughs> And somehow it was an at last was an appropriate song, right? At yeah. last I could have sex with somebody besides my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. In the scene, you're singing it to the people in the reception. Yeah. And so from another room, we could hear you, even though Denny's now. Exactly. <laughs> that's great. Makes me want to watch that part again and again. <laughs> yeah. Well. Me too. I got it. I see everything, you know. Oh, good. Now, do you watch the episode? You don't necessarily watch it that night, Tuesday nights. Well, most of the time I do. Okay. But uh, I see boy just in case if I don't get to watch it. Ah. Didn't you share something with me? I have to. I will go ahead and confess. I really appreciate you doing this interview with me today. But we just met a few days ago, didn't we? We did. We had coffee in Los Angeles. I was yeah. down there visiting, and what, what a pleasure that. Yes, it was wonderful. I just enjoyed so much meeting at Pete's Coffee down there in, was it coffee, yeah. Studio City? Or? Yes, that's your favorite place. They all knew you there. <laughs> yeah, I, I go there every morning after my hike. You know, I do a hike with my dog, and then I go there for coffee. You really you go hiking with your dog every morning. That's great. Every morning. Aww. And at the keeps time, her young and keeps me young. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're always going to be young. You're Mr. Music, and that just... I mean, let's look at the Rolling Stones. It doesn't matter what age you are. <laughs> okay. All right. You're always relevant and exciting. And while we were talking there, uh, I learned a few things. And one of them was, I think you said, w- William Shatner doesn't watch the show. <laughs> That's what I was told. Oh. This surprises me. But then again, maybe he's just too busy with his charity work and riding horses and the million other things he does. <laughs> he's done so much in his life. I don't know. I, I do know this, uh, based on what I saw when I was on the set, mm-hmm. he truly enjoys his work. He does. Yeah. And I think he probably, it's more probably a, I don't want to watch myself on screen kind of thing, too. Well, sometimes I feel that way about listening to myself. <laughs> you know, um, if I do a session, do a Boston Legal session on Tuesday, and then it's on that Tuesday night, I'm so aware of, of my voice in the show mm-hmm. that I... I I feel like it's too much me. Well, I think I could probably understand. I would. Fe- I cringe when I listen to myself as well, but we all enjoy it. And, you know, you'll be glad that you have them all taped and everything for later. Yeah. <laughs> and for your kids one day. And <laughs> everything. Exactly. Now, one more soundbite from Boston Legal, and then I want to get more into what you've been doing um, before and after the show, because this is not just your only career, of course. This one is from a very recent episode, a couple episodes ago, Race Ipsa. And that was, I'm going to play a soundbite from the balcony scene with, um, when, when Alan and Denny are talking and he's, he says, you never, this is the, the uh, storyline where Denny has shot his psychotherapist, his psychiatrist. Okay. And he talks about, Alan, you do not 
introduce your wife to your mistress, meaning you don't introduce Alan to your therapist. They both have their roles. And then you have your musical bit as we leave the episode. It was funny to finally meet your therapist. A man never introduces his wife to his mistress. That's a shame. Makes for a hell of a party. <laughs> so, do you think it's a sign of Alzheimer's if you can't remember how many people you shot? As long as you can remember who. It's so nice. It's always kind of sinks in, you know, some great moment, great dialogue bit has been said on that balcony, and then we get to contemplate it while you take us out with a little humming and moaning. <laughs> well, those are, I, I think those are my best moments. Yeah. I, I truly, that's the best part for me, not only not only because it's the end of the, of the show, of my work on that particular episode, mm-hmm. but I, I like that kind of, that kind of singing. Hmm. That's good. You know, an actual interesting retrospective of your work, I think we have posted on the site, if uh, anybody goes to our video clips, a very wonderful fan of the show, her name is I'm a Mess, I'll give her a plug, has put together all the balcony scenes from season one in a string of, you know, these clips, so one after the other, and since the majority of the balcony scenes end with your music, we can watch that whole, I think it's 20, 25 minutes long, because it's, you know... 20 or 17 episodes of the balcony scenes. Wow. And listen to your ending uh-huh. of the balcony scene with your music. So that'd really? be fun. You have to go and listen to that next. All right. A few just general questions about Boston Legal. Do you have a favorite vocal part that you, that has been used? It doesn't have to actually be a favorite favorite, but one that you remember as a standout, a particular episode, a particular scene. Nope. I can't say I do. Because <laughs> you're always looking forward, not back, right? Yeah. <laughs> I understand. Now, Sorry, I can't say that. as a fan of the show, do you have a favorite character? Somebody that you really follow their storyline, that you laugh or you enjoy their part? I'm a big fan of all of them. And <laughs> Very I don't, diplomatic. I don't, I don't say that just because. I, I truly think that, I don't know, Spader, I love him, man. And um, Shatner... Um, the new people that they're bringing on is, is they're all and Candace Burton she's she's just so classy oh. I just think they're all fantastic what a, what a marvelous cast don't you oh I agree they mesh so well I think it's so wonderful that the majority of them are you know over 40 and you know obviously in the 70s even and and we're all we don't look at the age there even though it seems like television is geared toward the younger and I really like that, I can relate well to that. And Renee, I, you know, I, I've, I've had dinner with him, and he's a fantastic, smart man. He's very oh. smart. He's a, very talented. He does other things. He, he's painting. He does things with his hands, man. He's a painter as well. Yeah, he he makes things. How do I describe it? He he, he has a wonderful home that that he just does all of these creative things. So now you said you just mentioned you had dinner with him. You can't get away with just mentioning that without a follow-up. <laughs> well, yeah, um, I was invited to a, to a girlfriend of mine to his house, and, and I had a, a wonderful, wonderful time there. With, I met his wife and his, his daughter, Tessa, 
Tessa Aubergenois and Adrian Latorell, her husband, yeah. are actually the ones that emailed me because they were on our podcast a, a month or so ago and they emailed me and said, you've got to talk to Billy. And I said, I'd love to talk to Billy. Do you know Billy? <laughs> yeah. That's how we hooked up. So I met her and she came to, uh, Tessa and her husband came to, to, to Coriel, Cafe Coriel. Oh, wonderful. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So that's, that's wonderful that you've had a little personal connection and all the characters and all the cast members, the actors on the show that you enjoy so much. Do you remember a particular... Now, I asked you about a favorite scene or a favorite part that you've contributed, but do you have any recent um, episodes that you really liked that stand out? You know, And I don't know if you can differentiate. Just as the story itself, do you remember like there was Stick It, that was the tax evasion one. We had some recent ones like... Um, Denny shooting his therapist. <laughs> Anything like that? Anything stand out? I don't know. That that episode where Denny and Fader go on a honey fishing trip or something? Finding Nemo. Oh. They went up to Nemo Bay. Yeah. I that, thought that was pretty cool. That was offset, so a lot of it was done on location up in Canada. Is that right? Yeah, up in British Columbia. Wow. Yes. They get around, don't they? It was, you know, they don't often get off the set, do they? <laughs> yes. No, I always thought it was down in Manhattan Beach. That's, you know, right. that's where they shoot. Yeah. You, you know some of the production and the crew people, mostly Danny, I realize. Anybody that you think that is an unsung hero that needs to be sort of mentioned or called out that you'd like to shine the spotlight on for a moment? Like I say, you know, I, I don't know but a lot of people behind the scenes um, other than Danny Love, because I, I work with Danny. I don't know a lot of the, the other people mm-hmm. on the set that work behind the scenes, but, I, you know, Steve Robbins, Who's a great guy? Mm-hmm. Uh, who's the supervising producer? Okay. Uh, he's a very nice man, and he probably does a lot of the work that you don't know about. That's right. We we hear about the Mike Listas, the David e. Kellys, the you know the, those people build Delia, but but Steve Robin, he just Robin, works yeah. hard. I mean, I think he's uh, one of the catalysts behind me being on the show. Well, I definitely want to hear more about your life before Boston Legal. You were in, and I have some examples of this in sound, but you were in uh, a group, a group, a duet with your brother. Yeah, we were a duo. A duo. Uh, all the Valentine brothers. How original. <laughs> now, that's <laughs> only you and John, who's his right. name. Out of how many brothers and sisters did you have? I've got seven sisters. And I have five brothers. Oh, my goodness. Seven and five? And yourself? Yep. yep. Thirteen. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Are they a lot of them in sort of the creative arts or various occupations we of all kinds? We all were musically inclined, except I'm the last one that's left that's still doing it. Oh, really? Everybody got the real jobs. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, not that yours isn't a real job, but sometimes it's hard to make a living doing what you do. You've managed to do that very well. And when yeah, you, I've survived. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you you started recording with your brother in the 70s, the late 70s. Were you doing work before that as well, or was that sort of the launch of your musical career? No, I did work before that. I was actually, uh, I was with a group called Young Holt Unlimited when I was about 17. What kind of music was that? Jazz. Oh, okay. And they were, the Young Holt Unlimited trio was two-thirds of the Ramsey Lewis trio originally. Oh, And wow. when they 
they left Ramsey Lewis, they became Young Hold Unlimited. And they had a song called, a hit song called Soulful Strut. Okay. And then they decided to add a vocalist to their group, and they, they asked me to join. So you... I, I traveled around the uh, down south and midwest with them for oh. about three years. Wow. And it was, a big, it was a big stepping stone for me. But prior to that, you know, my father was a club owner in Columbus, Ohio. Oh. So we were all involved in the nightclub business. Ah. Uh, we you were in our own, own club. He had a ready-made staff right there under his roof. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you need a ready-made staff if you're going to be in the, in the nightclub business. Yeah. So I was interested if Young Holt Unlimited Trio became a quartet when they added the vocalist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they did. Did they ch- became a quartet? They called yeah, themselves. Well, we went to Mississippi and a bunch of places. And the touring didn't stop there. Actually, you and your brother went on tour with. Tell me about this. Tell me about the Wiz. Yeah, we 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 came to California, and three or four months after we were here, that we auditioned for the Broadway musical The Wiz. But wow. it was the actual touring company of the Wiz, and we got parts as orchestra voices, which are also known as pitch singers. Hit singers, that's a lovely name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what we did was we backed up the, the principals on stage. Uh, we toured with that show for three and a half years. Wow, that's a long time to be with a show that performs probably just about every day. Yeah, it was such a fun show. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a big, one, just one big happy family. That's the best way. You wouldn't want to be three years with people that you don't like. <laughs> no, there was, you know, there was quite a bit of turnover, but... For the most part, we um, we kept most of the most of the cast. Oh, that's good. You and your brother John put out four CDs, I believe, or albums. They called them albums those days at that time. They <laughs> that's right. And um, certainly had a lot of recognition from your songs, but probably I, I may be wrong here. But the most the the most recognized one was one that hit the top of the R and B charts. Was that correct? Yes. And what was the name of that? Yeah, money's too tight to mention. Wow, I happen to have a soundbite of you guys singing that. Thank you for sending me some of these soundbites. I really appreciate that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Let's listen to about 30 so so seconds, and I want to hear a little bit more after that of your thoughts on Money's Too Tight and what happened with that song later. Okay. Beautiful harmonies with your brother. Oh, man, that was our anthem. Oh, really? And I can actually tell now that I've listened to you a lot on Boston Legal, I can tell your voice versus hers. You were swapping off yes. lines there, but um, I could tell yours. A little different from your brother's. Yeah, I, I think he had the better voice. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Now, that song went on and, and um, actually got grabbed up by another group. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, we had that song out on an independent label, and it was it imported to England, and it was picked up by 
a group called Simply Red. I remember Simply Red. Wow. And it was uh, actually, you know, Mick Hucknall was uh, a disc jockey at that time, spinning records in a club. And he was playing that record a lot, and he decided to record it with his group. And it became their first number one record in England. And then they went on to do more. Now, what did you think of his version? I loved it. Oh, good. You know, actually, I have a little bit here. Let me play just a few seconds of it just to compare. I think you did better. sounds an awful lot like you. <laughs> I think. And he doesn't have the uh, advantage of the duet, which adds adds layering. We like that. Yeah. Well, you know, I was really impressed uh, with hearing this kid from Manchester, England, sing my song. Uh, that is interesting. It was really interesting. And, I, you know, I was truly happy that, he, that it was redone because we did it on an independent label and it just didn't get the exposure that they brought to it. Why don't you, besides Simply Red, just give us as many names as you can remember <laughs> of people that you've either, because you write songs and they've performed them, they've picked them up, or people that you've performed with. Just just give us some names that we all would recognize and, and be impressed by. <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've written songs for the Neville Brothers. Now their uh, album, Family, is it Family Groove? Family oh. Groove. Mm-hmm. I had three songs on that album, but they actually cut four of my songs, but Three of them made that album. And, Which uh, ones were they, by the way? Do you remember? One was called Let My People Go, and one was called It's a Day-to-Day Thing, and the other one was called, uh, oh boy. <laughs> There's been a lot of songs. <laughs> been a lot of songs. Uh, I wrote a song that Ray Charles recorded. Now that's incredible to me. Let's well, that talk was about... incredible to me. That was my coup d'etat, you might say. Being able to get a song on Ray Charles was just so overwhelming for me. I, you know, the first song I ever heard in life was was a Ray Charles song. What? Well, wow. What song? Which one? Well, Drowning My Own Kids. I grew up as a child singing that song. So when I got a, a song on Ray Charles, I just thought, well, that's didn't you any say better than You actually sort of started singing at five, age five? Five years old, yeah. So that, wow, you were singing a Ray Charles song in those days. <laughs> yeah, they thought it was pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty amazing that, uh, someone was singing Drown in My Own Tears at five years old. Did your dad push you out on stage at his club? No, well, you know, I had, I had older siblings that played music and, and at the house. We always had a piano. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of performed for, for the, my mother and father's friends. Oh. That's how it all starts. You know? What instrument do you play? I just play the piano a little bit. Not enough to even, uh, just enough to kind of write from. So you, you compose from the piano. Yeah. Well, I have a little bit of the song that you wrote for Ray Charles, but just tell me what, what the title of it was and, and the neat thing about how he used that song. Well, it, the title was called, it's called My World. And um, they ended up naming his album. My world. Ray Charles, my world. And what an honor. That was such an honor. 
This song is, uh, maybe it was the, the song for the time or something. You were telling me a little bit of what it was about. And, you know, I was guessing on, you know, with some of the lyrics, but you want to share some of that? Well, you know, um, I think you could call it, uh, it had to do with environmental people, how people are running this world, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that could work for today, too. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe I'll, I'll record it myself. Put it out Squeeze it on that CD of standards. <laughs> well, I don't know. Hey, it might work. It might work there. Let's listen to a little bit of My World. This is Ray Charles doing it. And by the way, I want to say when I looked it up on the internet too, um, you were listed on the album as credits. So, yeah. Of course you would be if you sang, but they actually said backing vocals. Did you do some singing on that or did they get that wrong? I actually did do some, uh, just a little bit of singing, but I more or less helped the, uh, put the girls on as well, you know, oh. on, the, on the background to that. So you're sort of an arranger, I mean, producer for the background girls. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you call it. I got something I want to talk about. Y'all listen here. The time has come to end my feelings. Yeah. There's just so much confusion going down. Nice well, to hear that. We want to hear the whole thing, but listen, we don't I want to mean, get in trouble. I haven't heard that in a while. Oh, and you, it just feels like it's right now. Oh, do you just remember that time? <laughs> I do remember that time, and it was, you know, it, it was a very current lyric at that time, and it feels right right now. So you may have thinking about recording that. Oh, good. Now I think that album went is from 1992. Does that seem to fit with what you that, remember? That feels about right. For most of us, it feels like just yesterday. You know, it's only 10, 12 years ago. Right. Yeah. I don't think he did, but maybe one or two albums after that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, did you go see Ray, the movie, of course, I'm sure? Oh, yeah. And enjoy that very much. And, of course, our own, uh, we call her Shalina Hall. Also, the actress was in that one, Carrie Washington. Oh, I thought it was fantastic. I thought Jamie Foxx was just incredible. He was good. He he really fit that. I mean, not that I knew that much about Ray Charles. I sure felt like I knew him afterwards. Oh, man, I, I followed him all my life. They were right. They hit it right on the head. Now, speaking of movies, you've also been involved in a movie. Maybe more. All the one I know about, the one that we can all watch on DVD now. Yeah. It, well, will you just tell me. Tell all of us the name of that movie. The Five Heartbeats. Yes. Yeah, The Five Heartbeats. I was actually the, the voice of the lead character. Uh, I wasn't on camera, but I was the voice of the, the lead singer of the group. All those hits that they had at the very beginning of the group, that was my voice. That's great. Now, this is, and just for people who haven't seen it or whatever, remember it, it's back in 91, Robert Townsend, Keenan yep. Ivory Wayans, mm-hmm. wrote and put together and directed this movie. It's about a 1960s group, the Five Heartbeats. Exactly. And they were an African-American vocal group, and it was kind of their journey to stardom. And the yeah. struggles along the way. And, and for anybody that wants to, to, to know anything about what it was like in the 60s and being in a, in a R&B group, it's a great movie to see. I, it, it wasn't a, a huge hit until it came out on DVD. Oh, really? One of yeah. those? Yeah. Okay. It, was, it became so 
did. And of course, there's a soundtrack to accompany it. So you, if you like that kind of music, I mean, there's you're on a couple of the songs because well, you know, the that. funny thing about the soundtrack is that is is they use a lot of those songs. Uh, they put it on a lot of different groups, but I sing quite a few of those songs in the movie, like uh, oh. "The Heart Is a House to Love." the Dales did on the soundtrack, but I sang those songs in the movie. Oh, so now if I play sound bites from that soundtrack, they may it may not be you singing. Uh, th- there's only a couple of uh, uh, three songs on the actual soundtrack, but if you rented the DVD, you would hear all of the songs that I did. I'd love to play a soundbite right now from that, and but you tell me if, if this is one that actually you were singing in, uh, Nothing But Love? That's me. But let's listen to just a few seconds of Nothing But Love, and we can talk a little bit more about the five heartbeats. Was that also work that you did all in the studio, or did you go down to the set of the movie and, and meet some of the actors and mingle among them? You know, the, the cool thing about doing that movie was when they were shooting certain things, we would be in the studio recording the music for those scenes as they were setting up to shoot those scenes. That quickly. That quickly. And Robert Townsend would phone the producer of the music and tell him exactly what he needed. And then we would record it on the spot. Then they would ship it down to the location and they'd play that sound bite uh, as they were shooting the scene. Amazing. And I did get to go down because they shot a lot of that downtown L.A. Oh. And I did get to go down and hang out with the guys. And, uh, I got to meet all, of, all the guys. Oh, that's good. Now, who played the lead vocalist in that movie? Michael Wright. Okay. So he w- you were his voice. <laughs> yeah. Name some of the other actors in that movie, but there was one that's just a legend. But, um, there was a character called Sarge. Sarge, yeah. And he was uh, one of the that Nicholas. Was, uh, one of the, was that one of the Nicholas? It was. It's Harold Nicholas. Harold Nicholas, yeah. For the, the famous, and they started it all back in the, I mean, 20s or something. It was a long oh, time yeah. ago. Yeah. The Nicholas Brothers, and, and they're mostly known... Best known for their dancing and singing, right? Exactly. They were just like the complete package. <laughs> did you I get to he meet just him? Passed away here recently. Right, he did just recently pass away. Yeah. But he was known for doing incredible, like backward somersaults. And oh, there was nobody like the Nicholas brothers. Midair passed. splits. Yeah. Did you meet him then, Harold? I got to meet him. Good. I got to meet Diane Carroll. Oh, Diane Carroll's in that. Was she in that movie? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I she need. Played to- the wife of the manager of the group. You have to see that. I'm going to now, now that I know. <laughs> I have a better reason to listen now. That's an excellent movie. Also, you, moving out of the movies, but I want to play this really neat song. You Thank you for again for sending me some of these. The one that you did, just now, I don't know, was this by yourself or your brother, Little Al? That was by myself. Okay. I love it. Do you remember when you recorded that? Well, that's just a bunch of songs that I recorded as, as demos. Oh, that didn't necessarily get released to the public? No, it wasn't released. Oh, we're lucky. 
So yeah. here, world premiere. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was never released. It should. I really. It's very catchy. Let's hear a few minutes of Little Al, or actually a few seconds of Little Al. Here's a story by Little Al. His mama died and his daddy left at the age of twelve. His only family became a local gang. His new last name The boy He learned How to stay alive On the streets School Was in session But it wasn't to learn How to read It was how to kill And how to sell dope Little Al Became a criminal I could see a whole movie about Little Al. Little Al is a, he's a story here. Yes, he is. He's learning how to murder, sell yeah. dope. He's headed down the wrong side of the streets there. And you hey. you actually have girls there singing with you. you yes, know? I do have some background singing. <laughs> so are you telling me no one picked that one up and recorded it? You know, maybe I didn't push it enough. Aw. You know? It's but timeless. You, you're giving me all kinds of ideas. <laughs> Time to bring back the past. and it re- It's called repurposing. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, speaking of of putting out more in new material or repurposed material. Let's talk right now. Fans are going to be so excited to hear that you're, they can actually buy some of your stuff. We've ha- we have a forum over at boston-legal.org and we've had people post, where can I buy Billy's music? And I, you know, I don't know, but now there may be, you know, it's in the works. It's going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. So, um, you have actually recorded all the songs. You just mentioned that earlier. Do you have a yeah. name for the CD yet? I haven't named it yet, but I I can only tell you that I'll probably have it out in a month and a half, two months. Okay, good. And it's standard tunes, so like you said, Billy Holiday, standard. Frank Sinatra. And then I'm going right back in and, and I'm doing my uh, my original stuff. Maybe Lil Al and My World and yes. all of that stuff. <laughs> Will that be on a separate CD, you mean? or Yeah, that'll okay. be on a separate CD. All right. Let's play a 30-second little bit of first um, I'm Traveling Light. I think you okay. mentioned that earlier. That was a Billy holiday song? Yeah. And now it's a Billy Valentine song. Yeah. <laughs> okay. She said goodbye and took my heart away. So from today, I'm traveling like no one to see. There's nobody but me and my memories. But some lucky night, she may come back again. So until then, I'm traveling like. I just love the sound of that bass. Oh, thank you. 
I think I need to have a drink in my hand when I hear that, though. <laughs> Pardon me? I need to have a drink in my hand when I hear that. Yeah, that's one of those kind of things. needs to be in a dark club. and Yeah. Now, where did you record these songs? The Standards? Yeah, The Standards. At, in, in Van Nuys at a, uh, a friend of mine's studio. That's good. And you um, employed all the different musicians? Or do you have a bunch of guys that you just generally work with when you perform live, and did they help on this, recording these CDs? Uh, I've got a piano player that I worked with on this, and uh, his name is Stuart Elster. This is world premiere time, guys. <laughs> One more song that uh, Billy's been nice enough to share with us. Uh, she's funny that way. This hasn't been heard, as far as I know, out there quite yet. So let's hear a little sample of that. And who originally sang this? Was this Sinatra? No, that's a Billy Holiday. This is Billy as well. Okay. I'm not much to look at. I'm nothing to see. I'm glad to be living. Lucky to be. I've got this girl who's crazy for me. She's funny that way. It's nice. Any thoughts you want to add about any of the uh, songs on your CDs or that particular one? You know, these are songs that I, they're, they're very special to me. I, I thought they were all worth hearing me do my standard bit. I don't know if I'll ever do this again, but it's something I always wanted to do. Yeah, I, th- I think, well, you know, and it's sort of popular. I mean, Rod Stewart's made a whole new career, and, and Elvis Costello, you know, doing these sort of jazzy or the standards. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of a nice way to bring it back. And by the way... um, you know, speaking of standards, you know, I don't know if you know who Steve Tyrell is. He, he has, he does standards as well. Oh, Steve Tyrell. But, okay. But he was the producer on that Five Heartbeat album. Oh. The music producer on that. Uh-huh. But it's ironic that he would, he became a, a singer of standard songs shortly after that. Oh, after they did the movie. So mm-hmm. he was converted. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I would like to just uh, tell you how wonderful it has been to spend this last hour with you. I have a few follow-up questions as we look into the future, not only with the CD, but uh, looking at Boston Legal, it kind of looks like it's coming back for season three. ABC is being really cagey. They're not going to announce it officially probably till May 16, but mm-hmm. the word is out. So it looks like another year of um, steady paychecks for Billy Valentine. <laughs> hey, that's a great thing. You know, I'm, I just bought a new house. Oh, that's good. You pay that mortgage. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, what kind of things, if you had were given all the leeway that it sounds like you already have, uh, what kind of things would you like to do vocally if, if you could write your own ticket on season three of Boston Legal? Or are you happy with doing the way you're doing it? Well, you know, I'm all over the place <laughs> in the show. I, w- I wouldn't mind doing a couple of full out songs next season. I think they might use a couple of my songs next season. Hopefully they will. Well, you be sure and send a CD to every single producer there. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm working on that. And, you know, and if any of the casting people, the producers or writers are listening, we want to see Billy again. Find some way to bring him back on set. You know, we want to see him as well as hear yeah, him. Yeah, tell Denny to get married again. Yeah, I have a feeling <laughs> that might happen. Or maybe it'll be Allen's time. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. You know, we've been talking a lot about Boston Legal and music, but unrelated to those two major players in your life, do you have any goals and things that you want to accomplish that you want to share with everybody? Sometimes it helps 
to state your goal publicly, then you're going to accomplish it. Well, I think, uh, you know, I, like I say, you know, flying under the radar is kind of my thing. Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't, I never wanted to be a really big star. I just wanted to be, to be a working entertainer. And, and that's what I am. I, I work and I enjoy the work that I do. If I, if there's something in particular, I would want to finish up my, the next couple of CDs that I'm, I'm thinking about putting out. Good. If you can squeeze in time between live performances and television work and moving, yeah. <laughs> you're going to finish those CDs. I have a suggestion. What's that? Memoirs. Memoirs? We, wa- we want you to write a, 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 a autobiography, a little sort of look into, or if it's not about yourself because you're a humble man, you yeah, can write I, it about the, the, the tone of the industry when you were working back in the seventies and, you know, and bring yeah. in, you know, just your thoughts. It's a very that's, unique position you're in. That's a great concept. Yeah. I never thought about that, but I could, I could say a few things. You could. Maybe you start out with an essay and um, expand it from there. And of course, you know who will be happy to publish the essay. <laughs> well, I need somebody. I need some, I need a push, Dana. All right. Well, I'm giving you your assignment. I'm your editor. Billy, Ho- Billy Holiday, listen to me. Billy Valentine, you are going to write an essay on work, what it's like to work in musical entertainment in the television industry. And you, we'll post it on boston-legal.org. Okay. <laughs> and then you'll expand it into more chapters, a regular column, and then a book. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. I'll hold you to that. Any other thoughts? We haven't touched on everything in your life, but this is your chance to sort of get us, all of us, up um, up to date on anything we've missed. I think the one thing that we didn't touch on is, well, actually, I had a, a, a down period right after Money's Too Tight uh, where I became a demo singer for a lot of the top writers here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And... That's how I got to meet so many artists. I, I got to sing songs for Bonnie Raitt, for Aaron Neville, and people like that. Uh, even Michael Bolton. And wow. It was such a, a great experience, and I think that helped me become a better singer. Because you have to match different tones. I mean, Michael selling a song to Michael Bolton, which you had to basically do as a demo singer, is different than selling it to Aaron Neville. Right? So True. you're doing and, different things. And when you're, when you're singing for different writers and they want you to come in there and they want you to perform something with, with a certain artist, artist in mind, it's, it's a challenge. And I, I love that challenge. Did you find yourself listening to a lot of, you know, that particular artist, Bolton, and kind of getting well, Bolton, his thing? Bolton was one of the easier ones for me because he was just in that soulful vein. What you know, Aaron Neville is is soulful too, but his voice is so different. Now Bonnie is kind of she has twinges of country, right? Is she that... does, but Bonnie has she's got country, but she's she's kind of soulful too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't send you the one song that she recorded that I did as a demo, mm. but um, that someone else wrote. But you know, I have a lot of those kind of things. That's a really interesting niche that not many people know about, but songwriters need to get their songs presented to artists, and the easiest way is to hear it sung, and they need mm-hmm. someone to sing it, and songwriters don't always sing. They don't always exception. sing, but they're, they're great songwriters. Yeah. They're great songwriters, and, and that community is not as 
it's not as um, it's not like it used to be mm-hmm. because you know even publishers don't they they want to sign artists that write songs mm-hmm. they are they've stopped unless you're a, a really well known writer they'd rather sign an artist an artist that writes his own song mm-hmm. as opposed to just a a, a writer mm-hmm. and that's I think that's hurt the business oh okay. I think it's uh, you know, like you had back in the in the, in the earlier years, you had guys that didn't do nothing but write songs, mm-hmm. but they were great songwriters. That's what they did. You're right. You know, and you think- every artist is not a great songwriter. Uh-huh. They might be a great artist, but they're not always a great songwriter. Mm-hmm. You need and- that collaboration, and it, you're saying it's a little scarce these days. Yeah, I'm still called upon sing songs for writers, but not as much as I used to be, because there are, I don't know, they hard to find these, these songwriters like I used to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I cannot tell you how busy I used to be as a demo singer. A demo singer. Yeah, yes. There you go, and that's bread and butter, because you don't have to work that hard in the sense, you're not writing the song, you're just singing it. So that's... No, but it just, it just did so much for my oh, repertoire training. of songs, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the type of singing that I do. You know, that's, a, that's an art in itself being able to interpret these songs of someone else. There you go. I see another chapter in the, the future book of Billy Valentine. That is a chapter. It's about demo, demo artists. Yes, a demo artist. The unsung heroes, because they never really get seen by the pub or heard by the public. Right. Because it's just the only people listening to it, generally, are the producers and the, and the artists that will eventually record it. So. Right. There and that's how, I, that's how I really got to know Aaron. Oh. Was from, from my demo thing. Do you do you still uh, keep in touch with the Nevilles? Oh yeah, I, I I actually talked to Aaron about a week ago. Oh wow, that's great. Because he he was in town. He's recording an album right now. Oh wow! You know, I just was listening to they did one on uh, about St. Louis with Take Six, or I think it was Take Six's song, and the and Aaron Neville sang on it. And I've been listening to that lately. I love Take Six. It's very acapella kind of. Oh yeah, they're blending. great. Oh yeah, you know about them? Yes. Oh yeah, they're great. Every one of those guys sings so well. Each individually, right? Individually. Yeah. You know, it's like the the Temptations were like that. They, mm. they, 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 every guy in the group was so good. But the Valentine brothers were like that. Well, there was only two of us. <laughs> okay, but... <laughs> Well, it's been wonderful. I want you to, to just recap again anything that you can tell us about where you're performing live. We said okay. it at the beginning. But. Okay. And I do occasionally do standard nights, so when I do do that, I will let you know as well. Okay. Is the only one booked right now, the Cafe yeah. Cordonnel? Is that That's the only one I can tell you about right now. Okay. Well, keep your eye on, I guess we'll just tell them, keep their eye on boston-legal.org's calendar on the front page, and anything that comes up, we'll do that. We'll also put that on the music page a little bit more about Billy there. Thank you so much, and I appreciate the hour, more than an hour, that you've spent with me. We really um, learned a lot more about the music and the voice behind Boston Legal. Thank you so much for having me, and thank all of you Boston Legal fans for keeping it live. (laughs) Thanks again. Have a great rest of the day. You too. I'm traveling light Because my woman has gone So from now on I'm traveling light She said goodbye And took my heart away 
So from today, I'm traveling like.